The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Ephesians 1, verse 7 through 10 is where we find ourselves this morning. And we're going to continue looking at Paul's hymn or prayer here in verses 3 uh, through 14. Uh, We started this last week together, and last week we focused on verses 3 through 6. We just looked at those four verses together. And what we saw is we saw how God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, it tells us. With all spiritual blessings, God has blessed us before the foundation of the world. He's chosen us in that and that God has adopted us into his family. Really three just great spiritual truths there. And the thought of these really can be overwhelming to us. It really should cause us to marvel at how majestic God is, how amazing God is, that he, would, that he would do this for us. And so I hope that you have had an opportunity to reflect on that and just to, to think about that. And we'll see that more this morning as well as we continue in this hymn or this prayer, how you want to look at it together. But it really, like I said, can be an overwhelming thing. And for some, I have heard, I've heard from and been able to talk to some of you uh, that it's brought up questions that you might have. This is, this is a good thing. Questions are good. And we have to remember, and hopefully you continue to strive to seek for answers. But I would encourage you to seek for these answers in God's word. Go to God's word for these, for these answers that you have. And again, don't feel bad about the questions. It's good. And you should press into those questions. And I would also encourage you in this, though. Be faithful to being here on Sunday morning as we go through Ephesians together. Because hopefully you'll see uh, some of these questions come up. I think you will uh, today as well. But as you look for these answers, as you seek after answers to some of the questions that you may have as we approach different things in this passage, I want to encourage you in this. As you look for the answers, remember, okay, remember that God has revealed himself to us through his word and through Jesus. Therefore, because of that, if that is true, if we believe this to be true, we cannot then tell God how he should act or how he should be. It's not our place to do that, right? It's not our place to say, no, God shouldn't act that way. God should act this way. We don't have the right to do that. We are able to approach his word and to see how he has revealed himself. And when we, when we read God's word, we see things about him right away. We We see that God is the definition of love. He is grace. He is mercy. He is justice. He is righteousness. And so what we then cannot do is we cannot question these things about him. We don't have the right. We don't have the right to do this. He reveals himself as he is, and we must be willing to accept him as he is. We have to know that and put our trust and our faith in that about him. And that's Some of the things that you come across with people in our society today is they have a problem of who God says he is. And so as a result, they've made the decision, thus I don't like that God. I'm not going to follow that God. I'm not going to believe in that God. I'm not going to trust in that God or whatever the case might be. And they have the right to do that. They have the right to do that. And thus they're not children of God. They're They're not a child of God. They're not saved by God. But what we have to be very careful of is as we approach his word to learn about him and to know him is we cannot force God into our own little comfortable bubble of who we think he should be. 
And so I want to warn you of that as you press into these questions that you may have and as you seek these answers, because it becomes very easy for us to think, and maybe you've thought this way before, but it becomes very easy for us to think, I know how a loving God should act. I know how a loving God should be or how a loving God should respond. And so we start to place these things on top of God that we think he should be. And as a result, we kind of put ourselves in God's seat. We thus then put ourselves in the position of God, which is a sin. It's idolatry. We start to idolize ourselves. We start to idolize our own concept of what God should look like or how God should act within the world. And we can't do that. We also have to know, and we'll talk more about this this morning as we go on, but we also have to know that when we read God's word, there are just some things that we simply will not know about God because God hasn't given us those answers. God hasn't revealed that to us. And whether you like it or not, we'll dive into this more towards the end of the sermon, you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with that. I know that that kicks against everything we're taught of as Americans, but we don't have the right to know everything. We have the right to know what God has revealed to us about himself. That's what we have the right to know. No more and no less. And so I know that's uncomfortable, but I think it needs to be said and it needs to be realized because we feel, like I said, oftentimes, he owes it to me to tell me everything. And so some, sometimes the way that comes across is, you know, when I get to heaven, I can't wait to find out why there's mosquitoes or why, why is this happening or why is this happening? I'm just going to share with you. You might, not, you might not know. I don't know where it says in heaven we'll know all things, that we'll become like God and have all wisdom, all knowledge. I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but that definitely isn't promised here. And so there are things that we just simply aren't going to be able to grasp about God or know about God, and we need to be okay with this. So I say that as we enter into verses 7 through 10. So look at verses 7 through 10 with me this morning. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We're going to break this down the best we can this morning. The first thing that we see in verse 7 is we see Paul talk about the redemption through the blood of Christ. It says there, in him we have redemption through his blood. One of the things I want us to remember, if you've been a Christian for a long time, it's good to reflect on this, or maybe this morning you're not a Christian at all, and maybe you just have questions about the whole God thing, and that's why you're here, and there's nothing wrong with that either. There is a price that needs to be paid for sin, okay? So sin, there's a penalty for it, and as we look through Scripture, we see that the penalty of sin is death. So the penalty for any sin, you, you name what it is. It can be as small as you like. It can be as big as you like. The penalty that is deserved for the person who committed that sin, who committed that act, according to God, is they have sinned against God in that sin. Therefore, they should die. Death should happen. Death should be what takes place in their life. Sin requires the ultimate payment. 
Even in the Old Testament, this was the case. I mean, you can go read uh, the Old Testament and you will see that this, this is what happens. Uh, this is what takes place over and over again with Moses and the Israelites uh, in Egypt. In, in, Exodus chapter, in Exodus chapter 12, they're going through all the plagues and you get to the very last plague and God would send this plague on Egypt for uh, the firstborn to die in every family. And it was because of the sin that was taking place in Egypt and all of this. But there was, there was a way to escape this. And it was with blood. If they would take a lamb and if they would take some hyssop and they would put blood on the outside of their house over the door. And then they would consume the lamb that died. They would have to consume this lamb. So this lamb would give its life for sin so that the angel of death would then pass over that family. So you go again, all, all the way back to then, you see that sin equals death. The law demands this. The law requires this. And so we can't forget about this because too often I think what we try to do is we try, we try to water down this thought because one, it makes us more comfortable, but it also helps us, I think, see Jesus in a different way when we realize what he did on the cross. And we shouldn't do this. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, I think sometimes when we talk about Jesus on the cross, we, we put him up on the cross and we have him die, we have him rise again, but we act as if what God did there is God just kind of, because of Jesus, God just kind of overlooks our sin. That's what he does now because of Jesus. And that's not, that's not the case at all. God does not overlook your sin as a Christian. He doesn't just say, ah, that's all right. No, Jesus paid the price for your sin, and it was very costly. It cost him a lot. It cost him everything. It cost him his life, and he did that because of your sin. That lamb that they would take to kill, to put blood over the doorpost, it cost the lamb everything, absolutely everything about that lamb. It cost him everything, and so to go to that lamb and say, yeah, we're just gonna, I'm going to overlook his sin, no big deal, the lamb's going to say, wait a second. It cost me a ton in order for the angel of death to pass over your house. It cost me everything. And so we can't water down what Jesus has done on the cross because the truth is Jesus paid the penalty for sin, for your sin. The wrath of God was satisfied in his death. And his son dying on the cross, the wrath of God was satisfied. And so what does that mean? I mean, all the embarrassment that goes with sin, all of the shame, all of the guilt, all of the penalty, Christ bore it all in your place. He bore it all for you. And so when we read that little sentence there in seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, we cannot just pass by that as if that's just some nice little thing that Jesus has done. No, he gave up all things so that he could pay the price for your sin that you committed, that you deserve death from, but he took it from you and he bought you back is what, it, was what redemption means. He paid the price for you to be bought back from sin, to be bought back from the, uh, from the slavery of sin, the chains that held you down. Jesus purchased you back with his life. That's what he's done. And so sometimes we water that down. And when we water that down, it really takes away 
the, the drastic effect that that should have on our life. There should be no Christian here this morning. If you've been saved by the grace of God, you shouldn't sit here and look at yourself as if you're a worthless person. Low self-esteem and Christianity shouldn't go together. Now, we all suffer with that, and we all struggle with that at times. But do you realize that, that God Almighty sent his son and paid the price for you, and it, it was found worthy? You were found worthy to pay that price for. That should lift your spirits a little bit. It should humble you as well, yes, but it should lift your spirits and to talk about the things we talked about last week and that he would do that. Why? So that you could be adopted into his family and be called his child. <laughs> when you think about that, there should be no Christians moping around. Woe is me. Nobody likes me here. No, I only got three Facebook friends. Nobody even responded to the picture of my kids. Nobody did any of this. Who cares? God of the universe loves you. And before the foundation of the world decided that his son would die and pay the price for your sin. Why? So that he can be glorified in you. What a thought. Redeemed by the blood. That's what we just sang. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's exactly right. If it wasn't for the blood, your sin wouldn't be paid for. And so because of this, because we have redemption through his blood, Paul would then say, now we have forgiveness of our trespasses. So because of this redemption, we are forgiven in him, forgiven in Christ. All of our sin is washed away by the blood of the spotless lamb. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sins, from all sins, everything. This is something that we have to be willing to accept as individuals that you need to be willing to accept in order for it to be true in our life. We have to first understand, I am a sinner in need of saving, that I actually have a problem. I actually have something that I owe to God and it is my life, it's death. I, I owe him that because of my sin. We have to, first of all, understand that to, for this to be true. But then secondly, we have to, by faith, accept that Jesus did that for us on the cross. We have to be willing to accept that. And this is where a lot of people start to go astray because they say, I can't accept that some guy 2,000 years ago did anything for me. That was 2,000 years ago. It's a whole new world, whole new time. How can I think that that meant anything for me? Well, because God's word tells us that it's through him and in him that you can only be saved. That is the only way that you can receive forgiveness. To trust in his redemption, to trust in the work of his blood, to forgive us of our sins. This is something that by faith we have to accept. Now, when we start talking about forgiveness, again, we start thinking about it in our terms. And we start applying this to God, I think, sometimes. But when we think about forgiveness with us, forgiveness is a fickle thing. Forgiveness is a difficult thing. It's really hard. I'm sure maybe even for some of you, when you walk in here this morning and you see that face across the church, you remember what they did to you. You remember what they said to you. I mean, you might say hi in the hallway and maybe a long time ago you said, we're good, right? And yeah, we're good. But, but you remember. And forgiveness becomes difficult. 
Forgiveness becomes something that's very hard. And we know that about ourselves. We know that it's impossible for us to forget those types of things. We forget a lot of other things. But it's really hard for us to forget those types of things. And so one of the things that we do is we apply this to God as well. We think, I don't know if God really forgive me. And we start to, wa- we start to water down this word forgiveness. Because it's so hard for us, we think it's got to then be hard for God. But yet in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, the prophet would say this. He says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And then remember this, I will not remember your sins. This is a promise that we have been given as Christians and it should be a relief for all of us. The God who loves us so much that he would send his son to redeem us also forgives us but forgives us in a way that the Bible tells us he remembers our sin no more. And so while I can look at you and remember your sins against me, oh, I remember them all, and you're the same way. I can't put that on God because God has promised me when he sees Tim, he doesn't see me as sinner. He sees me as righteous in Christ. He sees my sin no more, and that means past, present, future sin. There's no conditional statement here. There's no conditional statement that says, I I will forgive you, that is, unless you do this. We don't have that. It says, when you receive my grace, you are forgiven of your trespasses. I really hope that's a relief to you this morning because I know that it is because I know what I did this week. I know what I'm thinking right now. I know what waits for me in the days ahead, and I know my weakness, and I know my struggle. But I'm reminded as I go to God's word and see this about his forgiveness, as I remember, God doesn't see me in my sin. And he does it for his own sake, for his own name. He sees me as righteous in his eyes because of Jesus and what he has done. And so this Understanding is what causes Paul to go on to his next statement and to say what he says at the end of verse 7 and in verse 8. Look with me. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. This freedom from sin that we have as Christians is a, is a gift from God that he doesn't just give to us. It's a gift from God that it says he, he lavishes upon us. He lavishes this great gift upon us. What a wonderful picture God has given us here of the great love that he has for us as Christians. It's, a, it's an undeserving love, yet it's one that he loves to have. It's not, I've said this numerous times. It's not one where he's like, Sure, fine, you've nagged me enough, come on in. It's not a case like that. That's kind of the love we have with our kids a lot, is it not? Okay, you win, you've gotten on my nerves enough. Here's the sucker, geez, just get out of here. It's not I love you, I'm giving you the sucker. You're bugging me to death. We don't have that with God. It says he, he lavishes this on us and then he takes it a step further. This, this was just, I was enthralled with this this morning as I was reading this over again. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, and notice this, 
in all wisdom and insight. Think about that. With all knowledge, God is all-knowing. He is, he is perfect in that. He has all wisdom. He is wisdom. And when he takes all of his wisdom, when he takes all of his knowledge, when he takes all of this together, do you want to know what he decides to do? Lavish you with his grace. What? I want you to think about the people you know in this world who are the smartest, right? Who are the best, who have the most knowledge and the most wisdom. What do they use their knowledge and wisdom for? Power. Money. Make a profit. Right? Greed. All of these things to get you to watch. It drives me crazy when you watch news or something. It's like nine o'clock at night and they say, the answer to all your problems. And you're like, what? Tonight at 11. I got to wait two hours? I mean, if it's that important, tell me now. You mean you should just let me know? But no, they want you to tune in. Right? They want you to click. I mean, that's what we get in our world from people with knowledge, with wisdom, is, is power. Or you're not good enough for them. That's what we see. But yet God, creator of all things, the one who gave those people any knowledge they have, he's allowed them to have that. He has all wisdom, all knowledge, all power. And what does he decide to do with all this? The Bible tells us in this verse. He decides to lavish his grace upon us in all of his insight and in all of his knowledge. Now, if you're like me and you think much about yourself, you start to think about who you are, the last thing I deserve is to be lavished by God with anything. I constantly fall short of him. I constantly sin. I constantly don't live up to the standard that I feel I need to live up for him. But I have to also realize and understand that it makes God happy to lavish his grace on me. And it makes God happy to lavish his grace on you as his child that he chose before the foundation of the world to adopt you into his family by the blood of his son. It makes him happy to lavish that on you. And so again, as Christians, we don't have the right to mope around and to say, I must be doing bad things for God because I'm just not catching a break. I just haven't had any luck recently. And nothing seems to be going my way. I hit every single red light in life. It always happens. Every time I turn, another bad thing and another bad thing and another bad thing. Listen, I know what that feels like. I know how easy it is to think that way. I know how easy it is to slide into that. But can I tell you, it is only Satan who tells you those things. Because what God tells us over and over and over again in his word is what I'm sharing with you right now. I lavish my grace on you. I love to bless you. I love to give you. I, I, and I have in my son see that. I can give you no more than that, than the blood of my son to redeem you and to forgive you of your sins. I've, I've lavished that on you and I've given you every spiritual blessing that you could ever want. It's yours in him. Chin up. Chin up. Be excited. Be happy. Oh, yes, sin has caused this world to be disrupted. But God has a plan for that too. God has a plan for that too, and we're getting there. Look at verse 9. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will. So he's lavished his grace upon us. According to the riches of his grace, all these things 
And then verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. Well, we must ask the question, what is this mystery that is being talked here? Well, the answer to that is what Paul's just talked about. The answer is God's plan of redemption that was established before time began. This is the mystery that is being spoken of here, that has been made known. It's also what Paul's going to get to in the next verse there in verse uh, 10. But you got to remember, we talked about this, I think, already as we've been in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, go ahead and flip over there in verse 1, Paul talks about the mystery and he says that he was actually called by God to share this mystery uh, to the Gentiles, right? Verse 3, or chapter 3, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the mystery that Paul keeps talking about. This is the mystery that God has been made known, that Christ has come for all through his blood. It's not just for the Jew, but it's also for the Gentile. That's why the call can go out and say, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It is because the mystery is no longer a mystery. It has been revealed to us by God through Jesus. God has made it known. And here's an amazing thing. I think we take this for granted. God didn't have to do this. Again, we think we're owed these types of things. God did not have to do this. He didn't have to plan this before the foundations of the world. God does not need you to fulfill himself, to be completely whatever. But yet he has done this. And that is the question really that we should ask is, why? Well, let's keep going. Why? There's a reason. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Paul points out here, notice that God did this at exactly the right time. Right? That God has this plan that says in the fullness of time to unite all things together. This reminds me of Romans chapter 5, verse 6. We read this quite a bit, but it says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And I think this is a good point of time to bring up one of the questions that one might ask after last week and then after looking at this week. Because this brings up a good question. Why in the world didn't God save me earlier? You might have asked this before. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe right now you're in your 70s and you didn't go to church growing up. You had a really tough life. And it wasn't until you were in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s that God saved you by his grace. And so a question might come up in your mind. Why didn't he save me when I was young? Why didn't he save me when I was 10? Right? Why, why in the world did I have to go through all that trouble first? Well, it seems like a fair question, does it not? I mean, it seems very reasonable for us to ask this question. But it's why I brought up what I did earlier. You have to remember, he is God and you are not. It's not fair for us to ask that question to him. It's not right for us to do that. His timing is perfect in everything, in all things, 
it is always perfect. I try to remind every family of this as I stand before them with their loved one laying there, passed away. There's people who will try to give them answers as to why this has happened. There have been, there's people who try to sugarcoat it and say these different things. The simple answer is, if you ask the question, why did God take grandma? Why did God take this or that? The answer is, I don't know. I have no idea, but I know this. The Bible tells me God is perfect in all things. And it includes this. I know it's hard and I know it's difficult and I know it can cause us to get angry and cause all these things, but don't let it waver your trust because God is perfect in his timing in everything, in all things. Because one might ask, why did God wait so long to send Jesus? Why all the Abraham stuff? Why all the Moses stuff? Why did all that stuff happen? I mean, Adam and Eve's sin put Jesus on the scene. Let it happen right then and there. I don't know. I don't have that answer. But I also, I don't think I have the right to ask it. Because God doesn't reveal that to me. He doesn't tell me that. He doesn't give me that in his word. But what he tells me is that God is the almighty. He is all-knowing. He is the one who has planned all of this out, all of life and eternity in its fullness, and he declares it to be perfect. And so for me to question this, again, is to put myself in the position of God, which I do not have the right to do. His word tells us who he is. His word has revealed to us the mystery in Christ, and that is what we need. And that is what we need to know. That is what we need to trust in. That is the faith that we need to have. Again, I bring this up because this is very difficult for us as Americans. I've been taught my whole life that I deserve all kinds of benefits, all kinds of rights. I mean, I've been taught that my whole life. I deserve an education. I deserve a good living. I I deserve to know answers. I, I deserve all these different things. I've been told that over and over and over again. And because of that, I bring that oftentimes to the word of God. But we have to remember, this Bible is not an American book. This is God's word that he has revealed himself to us. And in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, it says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may, we may do all the words of this law. There are still secret things that we just don't know, that we just don't have answers for, some like I have already mentioned. But again, I don't think the question needs to be, God, why won't you give us these answers? I think the real question needs to be, God, why in the world did you reveal anything to us? Why in the world did you let your mystery be made known through Christ? Why would you send him for me, a sinner? Why would you choose me before the foundation of the world? No merit, no anything to give you. These are the questions I think that we really should ponder. Because when we ponder those questions, it causes us to fall on our face before God and understanding that he alone is gracious enough to even let us know anything. Well, Paul goes on to let us know how this redemption story plays out in verse 10. 
has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. When you read this verse in its original, it actually reads all things in him again. The word again is there, which brings us back to the creation story. But Paul tells us here and reminds us that God will restore all things to how it was before sin entered into the world. God has promised to do that in the heavenlies and on earth. You, no doubt, like myself, feel the tension. As a child of God, if you're a Christian this morning, you should, you should feel the tension. We've already talked about it. Those of you walking around struggling with self-esteem or depression or anxiety or all these different things, and you say, I know these things about God, but yet I still struggle with these things. That's the tension I'm talking about. The tension of living in a world that is full of sin, yet understanding that there's a promise that all these things will be restored. The tension is it hasn't happened yet. And so we, we have to come and bury our loved ones. We have to experience those things. We still go through all these difficulties in our, in our life. And this is the tension that, I, that I'm talking about. This is the tension that we feel. And this isn't hidden from God. God knows this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 25, listen, Paul would say, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is what Paul's talking about in verse 10 of Ephesians when he says, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The promise that you have if you've been saved by God's grace is that he is going to unite all things together for him, for his glory. Creation will no longer groan with the birth pains of childbirth because it will be restored. We will no longer feel the tension that we so often feel because sin will be abolished. And we have this promise by God that we will be with him united in all these things. And it's a day that we look forward to. But like Paul mentions there in Romans, it's a day that's not there yet. We look forward to that day with hope. But it also says, with a word we don't like, with patience. We look forward to it with patience. We look forward to that day when God would come and unite all things. As Christians, this is a day that we should be praying for. God, come. Come and unite all things back together for yourself. Now, there is a warning here, and I want you to be careful with this because there are some who will use this verse to speak of universalism. We'll speak of, you see, the Bible tells us here, we don't have to worry about anything. God's going to save everybody. We're all going to be good. We're all going to be united. 
That's not what's being taught here. So if you have that question and you see an author going down that road, shut that book, burn it, and move on to the next one. Because there's way too many passages that speak very differently of wheats and tares being separated, sheep and goats. So we can't go there. That's not a true thing. But he will unite all of his children. All of those that he has adopted into his family will come together with no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering. Creation will be restored back to what it was. Think about that. No more thorns. No more thistles. No more work that you put your time and effort into and it comes to nothing. That won't happen anymore. Our work will be of complete value. It'll work perfectly within God's creation over and over and over again. For eternity, we will get to be with God, united in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the plan that God has established before the foundations of the world. And as a child of God, you are a part of it. That is an amazing thing to think about. It is the reason why we praise him. It's the reason why we glorify him. And really, it's the reason why we can get out of bed and continue to suffer the things that we might suffer in this world because we can stand along with Paul and say, just like he did in Romans, I consider all these sufferings They're just a drop in the barrel compared to the glory that awaits me one day. So I hope you have that in your mind as a Christian. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I guess the warning would be, this doesn't include you if you're not a child of God. If you haven't trusted in him by faith, you will not be united to him, all things in heaven and things on earth. It's not a promise for you. But the good news is, the Bible tells us, those who trust him by faith, it is a promise for you. Those who trust in his forgiveness and in his redemption, it is a promise for you. And so that could be you this morning. It could be you that for the first time you say, God, I I believe this. What Jesus has done, that is amazing. And I trust in that for my sin. I trust in the price that he paid I put my life in his hands. You can do that this morning. There's nothing magical about it. There's nothing special. There's not some dance you have to do. There's not some walk. There's not even a card that you have to sign. Just put your faith and belief in him and trust in him. And the Bible tells us he will save you. He will forgive you. It's that simple. It's that amazing. And so you can have all these promises in your life. And I hope and pray and people have been praying that you would And so I hope and trust that God will continue to work in his life as he's been doing. Well, let's bow together. Let's pray this morning. We're going to sing a song. It gives you a time to respond to the word of God that you've heard, that you've read, that you've seen. He is worthy to be praised. As we look at these truths of him, he alone is worthy. So I hope as a church we praise him how we should. God, I thank you for your redemption. Thank you for Jesus. God, as we read all these things in Ephesians, spiritual blessings, election, adoption, redemption, forgiveness, united, we must note that every time it's in him. It's only because of Jesus that these things are there. It's only because of him. Not of me, but of him.
So God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your plan. God, your plan that involved you literally crushing your son for my sin, what I deserve to be crushed for, you had planned it all along to crush your son in my place. God, I don't know how to repay you for that. I don't know how to pay you back. I can't. But what you ask in return is that I live my life for you and glorify you. And so God, help me to do that. Help us as a church family to do that, to glorify you in everything we say, everything we do, in our actions, and our attitudes, in our thoughts. God, we want to honor you. And so help us in doing that. Help us to stay true to your word, to believe in you and how you have revealed yourself, not of what we think or what we might want, but what you tell us in your word, to believe it, to teach it, to live it. God, as we respond to your word now, help us to be faithful to that. Prick our hearts, open our eyes, our ears to the Spirit's calling in our life. God, whether it's repentance of sin that needs to take place, whether it's been a lack of praise that we need to give to you, glory and honor, God, help us to do that now during this song we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.